0: We voted to leave the EU, but that doesn't mean we're closed. Brexit Britain is open for business, and we want the world to visit. Hello, I'm Barry Patterson, and welcome to the Barry Patterson Tour of Britain. This is the show where I travel the height and width of the country, from the island of Wick to the tin mines of Wales, fingering the pulse of a nation on the brink of Brexit. I'll be asking the big questions. Where have we come from? Where are we going? Where are the nearest toilets? Who are we? Why are we? When are we? I'm Barry, Barry Patterson. Join me, follow me, Instagram me photos of your mammaries as we explore this historic land. It's the Barry Patterson tour of Britain.
1: Planning a funeral can be a major inconvenience. One minute your loved one is alive and well, and the next, they're cold and dead. Let Colin Naismith Funeral Directors bear your burden. Colin Naismith Funeral Directors are proud to sponsor the Barry Patterson Tour of Britain podcast. Use the code COLD to claim a 10% discount on your next funeral.
0: In London as in many of the world's major centres. You can get almost anything you want. A foot-wanked goat's milk upside-down frappuccino is just a tap of a contactless credit card away. But the great thing about the Northeast is that this kind of thing simply isn't possible. The charms are more earthly. A mechanically reclaimed hoof pie washed down with a pint of sorrow. So that's where I'm off to this week. The charming North The locals go by the name of Geordie, a term derived from Middle English for "unemployable. Despite their coarse skin and tough hair, Geordies, in fact come from the Angles rather than the Celts. The first modern Geordies, Anton Deck, made their mark on the region by establishing the northeast's only school, Biker Grove. George Stevenson, Capability Brown, and Cheryl were all students of Biker, leaving to forge careers in engineering, landscape gardening, and singing. Although the latter's engineering and landscaping talent had been much overlooked. In these boom years, Newcastle was known as Newcastle and proudly trumpeted its status as the fifth city of the Empire. Local boulangerie Gregs was established by a French incomer, Le Gregg, and exported the company's legendary steak bake as far away as Sunderland and Gateshead, down the Tyne to Tynemouth and beside the Tees to Teesside. High on Greg's sweet meats, homosexually inclined boys would dance in the mines for their superiors, as if auditioning at the Royal Ballet in a hit film or West End show. But then, the mines were closed. dancing stopped and the region embraced post-industrial decline with the enthusiasm of a horse entering the glue factory. Times were dark, but the Geordies made the most of their unemployment by embarking on a breeding program that remains the envy of the developed world. To a citizen of Edinburgh or Frankfurt The image of a serial grandmother celebrating her 30th birthday at McDonald's would be too appalling to comprehend. But in this very special area of the UK, it was a sight as common as the often concomitant genital herpes. With a rising population happy to be paid in chips and satellite TV subscriptions, like the Pyramids of Giza, locals were tasked with creating a giant masonry edifice to bury their souls. The Metro Center opened in 1986 with literally many shops. A few years later, to symbolize the region's resurgence, a big girl boy was put on a hill. In the early 90s, the condition of the A1's road surface was so poor that councillors decided that they needed a large roadside distractor to make the southern approach to Newcastle more appealing. Funded by the sale of Alan Shearer stickers, they ran a design competition and encouraged the nation's greatest sculptors to enter. Anthony Gormley's winning entry was inspired by the artist's only visit to the region, when he met a respected local known as the Gateshead Flasher. With winged arms angled slightly forwards to represent the embrace of the open trench coat, locals immediately welcomed the chance to have their favorite sex pest immortalized in rusty iron. The only issue was that to make the statue more acceptable for its public location, Anthony designed it as genderless. Residents were divided and a bitter pressure group called Where's Willie was born. Even the then relatively unknown North MP Tony Blair weighed into the debate, making a right or cock of himself. Eventually however, Gormley won and the now intersex flasher was tastefully renamed the Angel of the North and left to expose his slash her indeterminate genitalia at the users of the A1. But the local quest for massive sex organs on hills was not satisfied. Councilors wanted balls, but instead they got massive mammaries. Northumberlandia, the Lady of the North, is the recent answer to the genderless angel. The local authority presumably found it hilarious to craft a naked lady you walk all over from slag. Let's summarise that intro to the North in numbers. The number of schools in the northeast. 7.2 The average number of children per family. 3 million The annual number of steak bakes required to fuel the region's coal industry. Many The number of shops in the metro centre. Zero The number of genitals on the Angel of the North.
1: Zero Has a loved one recently failed to answer their phone? Could they be dead? Colin Naismith, funeral directors, are proud to sponsor the Barry Patterson Tour of Britain podcast.
0: Good. So, now we're up to speed with the northeast. What the devil is it like today? I sent myself, Barry Patterson, to visit the towns of Durham and Berwick-upon-Tweed to find out more. Tourists often avoid the industrial wasteland of Durham favoring the more picturesque Hartlepool. There's a saying in these parts that when the Hartlepool Travel Lodge is booked up, you're best fucking off home than ending up in Durham. Uh, But I don't know why they say that because it really is a very very attractive place. From where I'm standing just now, I can see the huge Norman Mosque, and behind it, the sea. I've positioned myself just inside this alcove under the, the main bridge that takes you from the railway station to the central square. And just in front of me, there's a, there's a family of nesting uh, humans. Hello there. Hello? Hello? Well, no answer, I'm afraid, but it really is very, very nice. Durham has all the amenities you'd expect to find in any modern town. It's got an Iceland, a card factory, and an abattoir. It's home to Durham University. And it's 18,000 students who, by and large, are those who were unable to obtain a place to study the sciences or the arts at Hexham Leisure Centre. Students really changed the feel of this place from Sleepy Market Town to an almost garish kind of party destination akin to Mykonos or Prague. Oh, it's a horse going past. The students bring money and southern accents, and there's a palpable division between the students and and the locals. You can hear it in their names. Just as I've been walking around this morning, students have passed me with names like Ra-Ra, Figgy, Horace and Wigbert, whilst the locals have names like Ashley, Hayley, Kaylee, Shane, Duane and, and Kane. But it's what unites these apparently different populations, I think, that makes Durham really interesting and that's Mutual Hatred. Mm. I'm up on the hill now in the centre of Durham and what strikes me here is that... Oh shit, my car's run out on the meter. This is Berwick upon Tweed, which is just an easier way of saying it's a town called Berwick, and it's on and kind of around the River Tweed. And thank goodness they shortened it, because it'd be a bloody nightmare to get that on a sign. You could say at the moment, I'm Barry upon Sports Direct because I'm a man called Barry and I'm kind of hanging around a Sports Direct shop. Anyway, I digress. Now, Berwick-upon-Tweed, I'll shorten it to Butt, is an English town. And I say that because it's not always been English. For a fair old bit, But was Scottish. And as with any place near a border, it's now populated by the proudest English people you can find i was chatting to someone earlier called barry he happened to be me and he was saying that every st george's day the fittest butt residents walk up the coast to the scottish border and bear their butts on which they've written but it's english not scottish or if owners of larger behind but The 1707 Act of Union largely ended the border dispute, but I still regard myself as English British rather than Scottish British. And they actually wiggle in in the general direction of Edinburgh. Border troubles have left a real mark on this town. I'm down by the sea now. Incidentally wearing my new tracksuit from Sports Direct and as as far as the eye can see Note I have two eyes but I'm using it as a turn of phrase There are fortifications protecting the town In light of the recent rumblings about Scottish independence More cash has been pumped into maintaining these defences With the addition of anti-sturgeon guns and surface-to-air anti-jock missiles But. But Berwick of Tweed isn't all bleak. On a beautiful day like today, the view out over the Atlantic is simply non existent. But over the North Sea, it takes your breath away. Riverfax. Facts.
1: Riverfax. Facts. Riverfax. Facts.
0: The River Tweed, whilst most famous for its salmon, is home to the UK's only breeding pair of Berwick Badgers, shy five-legged creatures with snouts at either end. The River Aoun gets its name from that of Monk Alan, who fell into the river after injecting an early preparation of heroin. The River Weir is also called the Chode River, for it is as long as it is wide
1: do you ever get the feeling that something bad has happened well it probably has and even if it hasn't it probably will colin Naismith funeral directors are proud to sponsor the barry patterson tour of britain podcast
0: That's just about all we have time for on this edition of Barry Patterson's Tour of Britain. But next time. We're in London. Goodbye.